Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. This is a practical show done by a practical everyday guy and that is me. My voice in this episode is not 100% because I've got a cold going on right now. But I will do the best I can. I promise that. So the release date of this is July 1st, 2000. And 19. I recently had a chance to talk to Ben Branham while we were going out to a competition match. Ben, on his podcast, Modern Self-Protection, he has what's called Truck Talk Tuesdays. And so, you're going to hear this on his show too, but for the 25-minute interview section here, I talked to Ben just about how to deal with negative and tough stuff in life. Uh, And if any of you have to use your gun, the aftermath is going to be a tough negative time. And it's going to be not not easy at all. And and not just if you have to use your gun, but you guys know I used to do today's survival show. And I used to talk a lot about modern survivalism and no tinfoil hat survival. And you have to do what you can with what you have wherever you are, is what I used to say on that episode. And and it's only, you know, it's it's about how you deal with things afterwards and your mental state of mind. And so Ben and I talk a lot about that here coming up in the the interview section. But first, I want to cover some voicemails. I got some really good voicemails recently. If you want to comment on this show or any of the other episodes, my voicemail number is 210. 646-1727. 210-646-1727. Here's the first one. Hey, Bob. This is Scott, formerly of North Carolina, currently of the beautiful city of San Antonio. Hey, I just wanted to mention something to you that I learned today that I thought was very interesting. The Remington RM380, I believe it's called, the RM380, was is actually the derivative of the Rohrbaugh pistol. I don't know if you remember that or not. It was uh, a very high-end custom hand-fit 9mm concealed pistol, small pistol, um, very popular back around uh, 2004, 5, 6, 7 time frame, Um, $1,000, $1,200, something of that nature, very high-end. The Rohrbaugh company was purchased by the Remington company, and uh, that RM280 is a derivative of the Rohrbaugh pistol, and it's now available for under 300 bucks in the mid-200s. Um, I think that might be a fun little uh, 380 to play with in comparison to the Glock and the, the LCP2, which I happen to be carrying at the moment. 
listen, I love your podcasts. Uh, enjoy everything. Hope to bump into you at the range one of these days. Uh, have a great day. Hey, Scott, thank you. And yes, I hope to bump into you at the range one of these days. Welcome to the great gun-friendly state of, of Texas and the Alamo City of San Antonio. So I just looked up the Remington RM380. Yeah, you're right, Scott. It looks just like a Rohrbaugh. And uh, for <laughs> if it's less than half a, half the price of a Rohrbaugh, then... Then I guess that's pretty good. The Rohrbaugh nine millimeter was a was considered kind of like a uh, a rich man's nine millimeter. You know, somebody that really enjoyed the finer things in life and liked to have, you know, one of the best pocket um, nine millimeters. And this was 380 though. This Remington's a 380. The Rohrbaugh's were nine millimeter. Now you know, I, I think probably. If you really have, you know, if you got good quality ammo in a 380, I, I think you're going to get the job done. You know, a lot of people say, well, it's only a 380. It's not going to, it's not going to do much. Just going to piss the guy off. Yeah, 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 right. Sure. I probably, most people listening to this podcast are probably with a little bit of common sense going to know that it wouldn't be very fun getting shot with a 380. Uh, as well as a 9 or a 40 or a 45. The Rohrbaugh R9 was the actual model that, that this Remington RM380 is modeled after. Now, I've, you know, I don't normally give gun reviews on guns that I haven't had a chance to shoot, but just my first impressions of this, it's another semi-automa- semi-automatic 380 pistol. And looks like it's probably very good quality. Hopefully a good smooth double action trigger. So if you're in the market for a pocket 380 at that price point, this might be something that you want to check out. So Scott, thanks again for calling that in. As I've always said, get what you will carry and carry it all the time and practice with it. There are so many good guns out there right now that are being made by all the manufacturers just get what you can afford make sure that it works that that it's reliable if not send it back to the manufacturer and make it reliable and then once you got a good reliable gun practice practice train 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 and you're good to go so if the Remington RM380 at that low price point if it's as good or even close to being as good as the Rohrbaugh 9mm, well then I think that's a that's a pretty good buy. So Scott, thanks again for calling that in. Hey Bob, this is Jeff from York, South Carolina. I just wanted to ask your opinion. Currently you can buy the uh, Muddy Girl um, LCP2 380 for 259 normal price, but down to 199 from Palmetto State Armory. I just wanted to know if you thought that was an absolute must-buy. Thank you. Jeff, thanks for the call. $199 for an LCP-2. Wow. Yeah, I would say that's that's a must-buy if it's in your budget. It's not a must-buy if you have to go into debt uh, to buy something like that. But at a price point of $199, uh, most people can afford that. And yeah, I mean, it kind of looks neat. That uh, that LCP2 Muddy Girl pistol that looks pretty good, so you know 
Um, thanks again. You know, I'm, I'm glad you guys are, are paying attention to the market out there and making me aware of all these cool pistol deals out there. I, I like my LCP2. I like it a lot, the Ruger LCP2. I think it's a, a fine little pocket 380, and I think it's very difficult to go wrong with an LCP2. I think it's I think it's a winner. And, you know, to me, there's no doubt in my mind that after shooting it, and if you go back and watch Modern Handgunners, if you watch the, the YouTube channel that Ben Branham and I have um, started recently, Modern Handgunners on YouTube. If you go back and look at that, we did a Ruger LCP2 review, and I would imagine the one that you're talking about here, Jeff, is just pretty much going to be the same thing, just looks a little bit different. And we both, Ben and I both had high praises for the LCP2. So, yeah, Jeff, it's a Ruger, and it's a, it's a Ruger LCP380, Ruger LCP2, and it's probably a real good gun. And at $199, yeah, get that thing. I mean, if that's, if that's going to be your pocket gun, if you need a pocket gun, if you're in the market for a pocket 380, then uh, get it, absolutely. Now, before I move on to the next topic, I do want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of awesome holsters, which I own several of, and I've been using them for years. So this is not just a paid endorsement. It's a, it's a testimonial. I, I, love, I love Concealment Solutions products, and the customer service that Jason gives there is outstanding. Check it out, concealmentsolutions.com, and the one-word coupon code of Handgun World. The one-word coupon code of Handgun World will give you a 10% discount on any holster, on anything that's on the website except for the belts. So check it out once again at concealmentsolutions.com. So now tune in to my conversation with Ben Branham, uh, his Truck Talk Tuesday episode where we talked about how to solve problem number two. Alright, hello everybody. We're going to do a truck talk Tuesday with Bob Main here. Him and I are headed to the range to shoot what are we shooting? AASA? Yeah, we're shooting AASA competition. Uh, American Action Shooting Association. So free plug for them. They're a lot of fun. We've shot a couple. You know, we shot like three matches this month, Month, Bob. We're doing good. Uh, yeah, or maybe it's two this month, but yeah, we're doing doing well. Either way, it's great. Yeah. But um, I got Bob here because I wanted him to bring out the best of me. I know he will, and he has a little bit of insight on this. We are going to talk about problem number two in a gunfight. And... For those of you who listen to me, you know that my problem number two is not what everybody else says it is. The court battle, that's problem number three for me. One, you got to survive the encounter. And two is you got to live with what you did or did not do. And then three, you have to do the court battle. So all of that is the hard part. And we're going to talk about problem number two, surviving mentally afterwards. It's a... It's a horrible thing that happens, and I think it's getting better in law enforcement. I used to study the stats back in from the 90s, but it used to be a lot of officers, you know, they never use their gun. They never shoot people, despite what the TV says and stuff. It's really rare that an officer would ever have an officer-involved shooting. Most of them, 
they never use their gun for anything more than a showcase and they never fire their weapon and then they certainly never kill anybody but a lot of officers after especially in the 90s when i was studying it they'd have a gunfight and then mentally they couldn't come back from it they'd have all the problems all the court cases and everything and then it just wears on them especially the good officers that decided they took the job to protect and serve and to help the community and then <laughs> then they killed somebody in the community probably a tough thing to come back from yeah i would think it would be hard and i know some of it is hard so i really want to talk about that problem number two coming back after you're in that fight for your life situation and bob you were you did the cancer thing <laughs> and i put it easily you know it's like that's right up there with well you were in a gunfight right uh, yeah, that's the understatement of the year. But In some ways, it was just as bad. I'm sure it was even worse because it was a long time frame. For me, you know, my time frames were short. I was in 11 gun battles in Iraq in 03, and then I was in a couple more in 08, 09. But the couple more in 08, 09, I don't think they're real gun battles. I didn't, I fired my weapon once, but I didn't really have that thing. And my definition for being in combat is that you think you're going to die. There's no way out. You look at the situation and you go, mm, that's it. We're done. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And that's kind of my definition. People are like, well, what's your definition of combat? If you're standing in the middle of this horrible situation and you know without a doubt that there's no way you're going to make it through, guess what? You're probably in combat. Yeah, so- and Ben, it's funny that you bring up that situation because I was going to ask you, at any point, did you ever think you were going to die? More than once, unfortunately. Uh, the first real battle we got in uh, was in Nazaria, and I looked at this coming in, and I'm like, holy snot, there is no way we are going to survive this gauntlet. And, you know, a little luck, a little bit extra help, and uh, a little bit of me never making fun of Air Force or Air Wingers again because they saved my bacon that day. I, I thought there's no way we're ever going to be able to push through this town. That was our job, push through the town before without the air once air came in and started doing what they do i was like oh we've got a chance (laughs) so yeah that and then i got caught out in the middle of an ambush out in the open we lost fire superiority we're basically ducking and and that was in baghdad and i thought hey well this is it they're gonna overrun us because there's there's 15 of us but there's more of them than there are of us it was actually about 15 on 15 which is like the worst situation you could ever be in is to be even odds believe it or not yeah and i was like oh god this is it well rpg great get away from the vehicle that i was using for cover and then i'm laying in the middle of this parking lot going hmm, well somebody help <laughs> so so ben was battle number two the the aftermath the mental fight uh, was that tough for you? There it was a couple times, more than once. I was questioning my own sanity. I'm questioning my own life. I'm questioning my own, my own, I, I don't even know how to put it, besides saying my own humanity. I remember yeah, yeah. outside of Tikrit, we were in a gun battle, and I'm going to give shit away, but, you know, that's the way it is. That We shot this poor guy, and I remember I shot him too. And we shot him six times in the chest with our ARs at about 25 meters. And we had the 20-inch M16 and the 5.56 NATO round. It should have been the perfect thing and the worst. That, that is the best ballistically that round can do. And we shot him six times in the chest, and he went off into the bushes to die. And so somebody had to go get him. So the Navy SEALs volunteered that were with us, of course, because, you know, who wouldn't want to go hunt the bad guy? Well, they're Navy SEALs, too. Yeah, so they they hunted the bad guy and we didn't get to but I remember them calling over our company net and I had it in my ear 
that they were gonna they were gonna put security rounds in them. That's exactly what they said. And I'm like, oh, what is that? So I turned on my nods and my night vision goggles because it's in the middle of the night, and I can look out and I can see their weapon-mounted lights and their nods on and everything because they're using IR lights and you can see it real bad and or real easy in the in the nods. So I look in there and I watch and I watch a couple muzzle muzzle blasts when they had I think they had silence MP or something. They had something silence and I can see a little couple round bursts from each of their weapons that went in, like two of them. And I was at first I'm thinking they just I just watched somebody get executed. Yeah, that's got to be a tough thing. So, so fight number two, you're, did you ever have thoughts like, why did I survive this? How did I survive this? And what do I do now? Oh, I can count three times that I got, that I'm alive because of dumb luck. Yeah. Stupid, idiot, dumb lucking, nothing more. I should have been killed, dumb luck. My, my platoon should have, or not my platoon, my company should have been wiped out, dumb luck. And my battalion should have been wiped out. Dumb luck. Dumb luck kept us all alive. And I like to say that you make your own luck, and the harder you work, the more. But no, dumb luck. When a tank, when a tank division is maneuvering on your position, and they decide that they're going to sleep over for the night, and it's just my company of Marines reinforced at 180 Marines. They have as many tanks as we have Marines, and we were told to hold this spot. Well, I call it divine providence, and I'm a firm believer in that. People have uh, heard me talk about that. Um, and so so you got through it, so you survived it, and then after, what were your thoughts after you survived, even if it was what you call dumb luck, and you survived? What, what were your thoughts right after that? Uh, you know, it took me a while to realize it and to come back. And actually, I had all the problems that everybody does coming home from overseas, I couldn't be around crowds, loud noises, gunshots. If I was on the range shooting, no problem. If I was if I was not the one doing the shooting, problems. And then I look back and I go, oh man, why why am I here? And I got lucky, none of my Marines died, it got seriously hurt. Uh, dumb luck again. But I just looked at it and I'm yeah, I didn't realize why I was still here, honestly, until 09, 2010. You know, that's seven years after I got back from combat that I realized that and this is I'm with you. We're Christians. We never hidden it. God still had a plan for me. He was still going to use me to do other things in life to help more people. And that includes this podcast and this business and everything. So I really found ways that I can help people and that I can still be here. And I did notice that in the Marine Corps because right after I got back in 03, I was like, screw this. I am out of the Corps. I can't do this anymore. The combat part wasn't why I couldn't do it anymore. It was all the other stressors in life as a Marine. And I was just like, I am out. And then I looked at it and went, well, if I just go, I'm out, all this knowledge, all this experience, all this stuff that I've built up over the years dies with me as a Marine. That's a good point. So yeah, and a, a Marine's really half-life is four to six years because we all got four-year stints or six-year stints and we all get out. And so the the knowledge is lost and doesn't stay. So, yeah, I decided to stay there and that gave me a little bit of uh, life balance and life purpose. My life fell apart in 04 when I moved to uh, Texas for a while and I was having a hard time dealing with everything. But that once a month being a reserve in the Marine Corps, going to train Marines, that gave me a purpose in life. So it was it was a long fight and I'd go years and if you look at it I found my purpose again in 2010 
that was seven years after my first gunfight. And then I had 0809, where I was having a blast being a contractor, but I got in more fights too. Well, I think you just said the key. I just, uh, you know, the key thing, purpose. You know, purpose is if you have a purpose uh, afterwards, I think the aftermath is going to help you. And it's it's kind of like carrying a gun. If you have to use it to defend your life, if you got to shoot somebody, let's hope we never do. But it, if that happens and you have to shoot somebody, I hope that you have a purpose before that happened, a purpose for living. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, that's when... That's what helps you get through battle number two, the aftermath, is what is your purpose in living? And you, you start to focus on that. I found that out, you know, in my situation. And I think the purpose showed up for you, didn't it? Yeah, and then your purpose, Bob, I mean, you had to dig in a long time. My gun battles were, I know there were gun battles because they were switching magazines and stuff. You call them a full-on gun battle. But, I mean, my longest one was only five minutes. You had to battle cancer for three months in the hospital, and I remember seeing you multiple times and last-minute brain surgery. Yeah, I mean that's yep. uh, man, that one was. I can't imagine you doing it because it was horrible on my side. I could think we're going to Houston to take a class, and you're like, oh, the day before Houston, I'm going to go see the neurologist and see what's going on because they said they found something they don't like. And you walk into his office, and he looks at it, and he goes, oh God, we got to have surgery tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's the way it was. And the next thing I know, you know, I'm teaching the class by myself, which, you know, that's not half as bad as what you were doing. But, man, that kind of stuff, that'll get you. Yeah, I had a I had a three-month period where I felt any day I might die. And, you know, I had to prepare for that. I had to prepare for that. You know, it's like, like you said, a gun battle is, what, a minute, two minutes, five minutes? I had a three-month battle where where every day, literally every single day, I thought, you know what, physically my body might give out because of these treatments, because of what I'm going through, physically my body may just give out. You know, God decided that he wanted to keep me around, and now I know what that purpose is, but it's tough. And so I remember, I remember focusing on what is my purpose. If I get through this, Lord, what's my purpose? And that's what got me through that three-month period. And there was a, there was especially a 23-day period there when I was hospitalized at MD Anderson that was really, really rough. And if anybody's listening to this, if you've been through a 23-day period where you don't know if this is the end or not, 23 days becomes a long time. 23 days to, you know, the ordinary person might not seem very long at all. But try laying in a hospital bed with three IVs in you, three, at one time four, but most of the time three, and they're pumping stuff through your brain, your, your veins 24 hours a day, and you got nurses coming in 24 hours a day, you feel like absolute wreck, like, like it is the end. I mean, you feel like that. You, you, it's even, it was even painful just to get out of my bed to go to the bathroom for 23 straight days and you know then it becomes a long time 23 days sounds like a or feels like a year when you're in that situation yeah i can't imagine that but that's why i want to talk about this on this podcast is how are you going to get through b how are you going to survive those horrible times and this might not even be more of a survival topic period than just the gun battle because we're all going to have horrible horrible things that happen in your life 
And yeah. it's, whatever happens to you is going to be the worst thing that you can ever imagine. And that could be your significant other dies, your kid dies, your parents die. I mean, there's always going to be something that happens to you. And how do we get through those times? And how do we survive mentally and just don't end up? And in the military, it's always self-medicate. How do you end up not drinking yourself to death? Well, and I can shed some light on that because... You know, you're right. It's it was it's a tough time that you go through. And then what do you do in stage number two? What do you do in in battle number two? What you do is, first of all, what I learned, it, and it was tempting. It was tempting to keep doing this, but people told me not to. I kept asking the question, why? Why did I survive this? Why did I get through this? Why, when you, you hear about thousands of people every year die from cancer or die in a gunfight why did I be one of the lucky ones to survive and then I remembered okay because my, my my first wife at that time that that many of you know passed in, in May of 2017 she kept saying to me don't ask why don't ask why don't focus on why God's got a purpose for you and and there's a reason that you got through this so focus on that purpose so I'll credit my first wife Carrie she was the one that said focus on the purpose and and so that's the advice I would give to people focus on your purpose in life and if before your event if you didn't have a purpose before your life-threatening event I bet you probably have one now (laughs) that's a good one find a purpose and keep going And that could be a life lesson right there. What's your purpose in life, period? What's what's higher than you? What's What means more to you than your life? And you can say your family. You can say your kids. You can say your job. You can say teaching people in this podcast like I do. But is it really your life's purpose? Is it your life's mission? Is it why you were put on this earth? Forget, if you're not religious, forget why. But just, you know, why did God put you on this earth? Why did you get put here this day, this time, and why are you here, still here, and what do you have left to do? So that's a really good way to get through the easy times. Um, the other one I can tell you, Bob alluded to it, talking to people. Man, we came back from Iraq the first time, and we were supposed to go on basket leave. Basket leave is when they give you leave orders, and you go away for, and we were supposed to have a week to 10 days, and then come back, and they throw your leave papers away so that... Um, nobody knows that you were on leave it doesn't get charged against your account you just get 10 days of free off time well we were supposed to get that and in true marine corps fashion we were standing in line waiting they had all the tables we could see all the leave papers we're all ready to sign them and we're kind of hanging out waiting to get in line to sign all the papers and get it all organized and they say oh we're sorry and you see all the guys from admin that were there with the papers pick up the papers, fold up the tables, grab their chairs, and leave. And you're like, what the heck? Yeah, what's going on? Good thing you took our weapons from us right now. So, yeah, but it actually worked out being real good. We got a three-day weekend. We came back late Thursday night, got off Friday morning, had three days off, and then went back to the unit to do a bunch of out processing and stuff um it turned out to be really good three days whew, that was enough i mean we we did not have time to decompress so we just got on a plane and we were out of there and the next thing we know we're home with, with our families we're no longer with our marines 
and it it gets dark really fast. You got light, lack of sleep because we were up so late Tuesday night, and everybody yeah. just wants to hang out with you. You want to go to parties. I was the guest at a party like that weekend. Didn't even know it in the middle of the party. I was flipping out. I got up, went to the bar, had like three shots, went outside, got on the phone, called my combat buddy, and went, "Hey, dude, I'm freaking losing it." And he goes, "You too? Me too?" <laughs> well, and you did the right thing, Ben. You know, I want to focus on what you're saying, talking to people. You know, don't be afraid. I hear so many, and men are especially guilty of this. Not so much women, but men are guilty of this. Not talking to anybody. They don't want to talk about their experiences. Guys, I'm telling you. You know what? Uh, that's one thing I did not do. I did, I was not ashamed to talk about my my, my cancer exper- experience, my emergency brain surgery, and the fact that I almost died. You know. I, when you talk about it, it actually helps you. And I, I want to really encourage people, if you've been through any kind of an event, whether it's in the military, law enforcement, personally, whatever, talk to people about it. It's okay to be selective about who you talk to. It's okay to pick and choose carefully. But it's okay to talk to people. Even if you got to pick a stranger. Even if you got to sign up for counseling and go talk to a strange counselor you've never met before to keep things private. Just do that. Because... Talking to people helps a great deal. Yeah, I was super lucky to have all my Marines. We came back that Monday morning, talked to everybody, even the guys that we thought were, you know, the hardest of the hard, the best of the best of us. They're telling stories about, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened this weekend. Yeah. It freaked me out. I was just freaked out, and I couldn't breathe, and my family thought I was going to kill everybody. My wife's trying to kind of pat me on the back and calm me down. I'm just freaked out trying to get my mind back, and she's afraid that I'm going to go ballistic and kill everybody at the party. So, yeah, fun stuff, right? So there's a lot of things you can do. After a shooting, it's hard to talk to people. The only person that you can really talk to, and they're super expensive, is the lawyer. You have client privilege where they don't, the lawyer doesn't have, you can go in there and say, yeah, I killed him, I meant to do it, I tried to do it, and I wanted to do it, and I'd do it again, and thank God that guy's dead, and I had fun doing it, which is all horrible, but you might feel that at the time. The lawyer is the only one that can not have to divulge that in court. So you have to find a really close friend that you can talk to that would never break your confidence, you can try the lawyer route, and the counselors are hard too, because if you go into your counselor, yes, most of the time that's privileged information and they can't divulge any of it ever, unless you tell them that you committed a horrific crime. Yeah, then they gotta report that. Like murdering somebody, just saying. So there's a lot of online counselors and stuff that you could use, and some of them are getting better where you don't have to use your real name. You know, hi, I'm Mike from Pennsylvania. I was involved in a shooting, I need help. And then you can start doing that, and then, you know, the horrible thing is you got to, guys, you got to say, I feel like I might have murdered somebody. You can't go into the counselor's office and go, oh my God, I murdered this guy. I shot him and killed him in cold blood. And you're going to have those thoughts. You're going to have that thought of, why did I kill this person? Could we have done something else? Should I have killed this person? Even in combat, when I'm looking at the guy shooting at me, and I shot at him, it's like, should I have actually killed this guy? And... Yeah, so it can get bad real quick. Yeah. And it's a horrible part of our society that anybody you could talk to could be subpoenaed in court. And that includes me and my Marines if I talk to them too much because years later, years later, you know, you watch all the stuff going on and there's problems. And years later, one of my Marines, and we thought it was because he was running his mouth, got investigated by a couple other things. But it turns out his... uh, 
ex-wife who was they were going through a horrible divorce she she went to the lawyer at JAG in the Marine Corps and said he told me all of these war crimes that he committed back in 2003 and that was 2010 2012 seven or eight years later yeah so oh horrible yeah that was bad well so you and I you know we've we've touched on this subject now for about 20 minutes or so uh what to do in battle number two which is the aftermath and uh, we have some more to say about this. You know, we're about five minutes away from uh, getting to the range for our competition match. But, you know, Ben, we have a Shooters Club. We have a Shooters Club membership uh, where we put exclusive material on that for our, our dues-paying members that support us. And we got more to say about this. First of all, talk a little bit about our Shooters Club, Ben. Shooters Club, we got like 80 videos up. It's at ShootersClubMembers.com. I put a video up on the front page that shows you how to shoot a rifle better. If you learn those two techniques, it's worth the $75 a year charge just to learn that stuff on the front page. And then we've got a lot of that stuff inside, so go check that out and you'll see what I'm talking about. That's the stuff that we do. Um, most of the stuff that we do over there, we put it on video because it's hard to show you how to grip a gun through a podcast. Yeah. So, And we just needed a way to pay for all of this stuff. I mean, I'm recording into a thousand dollar ipad right now i gotta have the expensive mac to do all the editing um and that's that's just stuff i have but the other stuff it's it's like twenty dollars a month for hosting twenty dollars a month for the other hosting forty dollars a month for email programs there's there's it adds a ton up. of crap that adds up real quick yeah insurance because i'm an instructor that's three or four hundred dollars a year yeah all of that stuff just adds up a lot really fast so that's why we have the shooters club it's not to make a fortune because we definitely have not made a fortune the shooters club is there to help me and bob pay for all that stuff and i figured it out it cost me about 200 250 a month just to keep the podcast going so uh, yeah mine too My, about 250 a month just to keep it rolling yeah you'd never think a free hobby would be so expensive <laughs> yeah free, so anyway so the second part of this audio uh, because I, there's a lot more I want to say on this subject, on what to do in the aftermath. Um, and I'm probably, I'm sure there probably is for you. So the second half will be an audio podcast, not a video, on the Shooters Club. You can also sign up for $8 a month or $75 a year at ShootersClubMembers.com. So you ready to, uh, you ready to do some competition shooting? Yeah, let's get away from the I want to cry stuff and go to the fun stuff of what we do, and that's shooting a competition. And then depending on how the competition goes, we'll know if we want to cry or not, right? <laughs> yes, there are times that I shoot a competition that I want to cry afterwards because it's that bad. But nobody gets hurt, and you know the targets aren't shooting bad at you, and it's just all fun games. It's all for pride. All right, sounds good. So uh, to all the Shooters Club members, we'll, uh, we'll see you over there on that side. Okay, well, many thanks again to Ben Branham. We had a blast shooting the competition match, no pun intended. And it was a great conversation going there and a great conversation coming back. You know, when we talk about things like this, both of us learn from it as well. So we hope that you enjoyed it and benefited from it because we did just the two of us did talking about it and that's that's the main goal also is for us to better ourselves you know as the bible says uh as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another and that's pretty much what we did in that um that talk now so the rest of it 
the detail the the even more detailed version of it where we really got into some of the details of how we've coped and dealt with problem number two is on the shooters club and if you're not a member go to shootersclubmembers.com that's shootersclubmembers.com and for only eight dollars a month you can sign up and you can get all the exclusive contact content excuse me audio and video you can save some money and sign up for $75 a year if you're a graduate of one of our classes that we did in the past you can sign up for half price at 37.50 per year just email one of us and remind us that you came to one of our classes we'll look up your name on one of our class rosters and give you a special discount link to sign up for $37.50 for a whole year otherwise $75 a year or $8 a month check it out I talked about some personal stuff on that Shooters Club episode that I have not talked about before so I hope hopefully I can give you some benefit if you are a member so folks that pretty much wraps up this episode uh, many thanks to all of you who use my amazon store that's a great way to support my show without spending any extra money go to handgunworld.com first and then go to my amazon store before you log into your prime account or make your amazon purchase and if you've never given me an itunes review i'd love for you to do that if itunes is the way that you get this podcast just put a review up there write a review if you would actually and um, not just a rating but if you'd write a review it really helps helps get the word out spread this spread this out spread the spread the word about this podcast as you know I try to bring good information on every episode something you can benefit from if you get one good idea out of every episode my goal is achieved once again if you get one good idea out of every episode well, then my goal has been achieved and uh, I'll keep doing it as long as you keep on listening. And remember, shooting's a perishable skill. You have to get out there on a regular basis, and you got to continue to practice and to train. It's not something you can't just take a class one time and feel like, okay, you're trained, and I'm good for the rest of my life. It just it doesn't work that way. It's a skill like any other skill that needs to be learned, needs to be practiced after you learn it. So remember that the loudest sound the loudest sound that a shooter hears is a bang when he's expecting a click or a click when he's expecting a bang. Remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>